Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors like today, experts, well, yes, our guest is also an expert, and moms around the world. Hey, everybody, this is going to be a two-parter. Two-parter Atomic Moms, do you ever have a hard time not giving in when your child wants something and has a total meltdown? How about with controlling your own anger or unhealthy eating habits? Do you have a hard time setting aside time for yourself and prioritizing those passions that make you you? Or do you feel depleted and is it hard to summon up your energy? I'm whispering, by the way, because I'm staring at my infant um, who's in her little vibrating chair. (laughs) Uh, so New York Times bestselling author and the Hollywood psychotherapist, Barry Michaels, he's going to help us address all these mom issues. And then he's going to literally change my life. So I've been struggling with whether or not to make this one long episode or two. And my gut says two, because the stuff that happens at the end, it just blew my mind. And we were almost finished recording. And then it basically turned into a private session. And if you listen to my birth story, then you know, there's this one moment I was pretty frustrated with. And you know how when you have an experience, and then the more time goes by, that one moment gets played over and over in your head, and you get like more and more frustrated or angry about it. And then suddenly the whole experience starts to get tainted by or colored by that moment stuck on replay. So That happened with my birth story. And Barry helps me figure out what's really going on. And so I'm going to share that part of the episode in early September. And it's going to help all the moms out there who ever feel judged or powerless or like you need to be perfect uh, for those of us who suffer from the inner critic or what I like to call the tribunal of assholes in my head. So don't forget to listen to that episode in September. Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms now so you're sure to get it. Okay, guys, this episode, this was one of those conversations that I will hold on to forever. It's a real game changer for me, and uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Hi, mamas out there. To new listeners, I have a three-year-old daughter, and I have a three-week-old daughter, and I'm doing my first in-person interview away from home today, and I'm very excited. My husband is home with our baby, uh, and I'm relishing the fact that she hasn't chosen him over me yet. I'm, I'm appreciating these early days where I'm still the favorite, so good luck, babe. And today, we are speaking with Barry Michaels. He is the co-author of Coming Alive, Four Tools to Defeat Your Inner Enemy, Ignite Creative Expression, and Unleash Your Soul's Potential. He co-wrote that with Phil Stutz, and it's a follow-up to the New York Times bestseller, The Tools. Marianne Williamson, uh, here's what she said about it. Breakthrough material that ignites your own capacity to transform your life. And with their new book, Coming Alive, which is being released today, the day that we are uh, sharing this podcast. So it's available, guys. Go on Amazon, go on AtomicBombs.com, find it, get it, read it on your Kindle. The blurbs for that are, you know, people you've never heard of. Gwyneth Paltrow, Adam McKay, who is the co-founder of Funny or Die, Andrew Barrymore, Hank Azaria, 
and my one of my favorite fiction writers, Maria Simple. Uh, if you haven't read Where Where Do You Go, Bernadette, like you will just laugh your ass off. Anyway, <laughs> so Barry has a BA from Harvard, a law degree from University of California, Berkeley, and an MSW from the University of Southern California. He has been in private practice as a psychotherapist in LA since 1986. He's also the in-house therapist for Goop. And so we're going to be talking about coming alive today. We're going to be talking a little bit about your first book, The Tools. I've been up since 4 a.m., but I keep thinking on the East Coast, that's 7 a.m. So I'm just going to live on East Coast time for the next several months. This is all Barry's fault that I am camping out in his office with all my equipment <laughs> with this <laughs> snake of cords on his desk. Uh, it's his fault because we were scheduled to do a phone interview. And then after finishing his book... I had no choice. I had to like lean into the fear and go after what my gut was saying to do, which was to get a face-to-face with Barry. Also, I figure that if I'm going to have a complete meltdown, to do it in an esteemed psychotherapist's office would be the best place. Absolutely. So, you're, in, you're in good hands. Barry, thank you so much <laughs> for having us. Thanks so much for for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed listening to the episodes. Oh, thank you. Okay. So you talk about the tools. Can we just start? I'm sure you're sick of (laughs) saying what they are. Can you just explain to us, like, what are tools? Yeah. Uh, A tool is a very simple procedure, usually takes less than 10 seconds, and you use it in a situation where you normally get blocked or get stuck. So the tools in the first book, um, one of them involves uh, avoidance or procrastination, When you want to do something, like you need to sit down and write and you start to avoid it, you use the tool. It takes like five seconds to use and it gets you to stop avoiding. It gets you to sit down and write. So there are many, many things that stop us from fulfilling our potential. And the tools just sort of bridge the gap between insight into why you have your problem, which is important, but doesn't actually get you to solve your problem. It bridges the gap between insight and action. It actually allows you to take action to solve the problem. So most of you have probably used tools without calling them tools. If you meditate, that's a tool. If you chant, if you, you know, visualize things that you want to come into your life, those are tools. The difference between those tools and our tools is that we want you to be able to use the tools in the moment you're having a problem. So you meditate for 10 minutes at the beginning of the day. That's separate from the problem that you might have in the middle of the day. Our tools are designed to be used right in the situation where you're having a problem so that you can, you can overcome it in real time. It's like mental and emotional triage. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. Because if you, the truth is, if you can overcome a problem in real time over and over and over again, Not only do you pretty much overcome that problem permanently, you also get something that's priceless, which is just a sense of like, my life can open up. Mm -hmm. Things can really change. What people don't realize is that they mostly walk around feeling like it's impossible. Like I've had this problem forever and I'm just going to have it forever. And what we've found is that if you're systematic about using the tools, that feeling disappears and is replaced with a feeling of like, wow, there's almost nothing I couldn't do, which is great. So let's, uh, let's put this into action. A lot of us mothers 
have a hard time controlling our impulses, which I find hilarious because nothing aggravates me more than uh, my three-year-old's inability to control her impulses. So um, for me currently uh, at 3 a.m. when I have pumped and I'm putting the milk in the fridge, I have to like go to the pantry to eat stale cookies (laughs) that... I, don't, I think because I know that I'm going to want one in the middle of the night, so I don't just throw them out. But I'm not willing to buy new ones um, because also I'm not going to the grocery store yet, everyone. Uh, so anyway, what can we do in the moment so that we can give ourselves some space and make a different, healthier choice? Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that when you're a mom, especially at early, early ages like this, you're spending so much time around a little kid who is pure impulse that it's hard not to get impulsive. I mean, it's hard not to, and I don't mean this word in a critical way, but it's hard not to regress a little bit. Oh, I'll stoop to our level. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to. I'll, I'll never forget the first time my wife went on vacation and I spent like the whole weekend with my kids. i Like by Monday, I was a kid. I was ridiculous. I was like, don't do that to me. (laughs) So first of all, just understand it's difficult. It's just Mm -hmm. difficult. We absorb the energy of our environment. And when the energy of the environment is, I want this, I want that, I want that, I'm impulsive. You know, you just regress to that level. But that aside, it's up to you as the parent to model impulse control, because if you don't, None of the messages that you send your kid are going to have much credibility. So in the book, Coming Alive, I talk about a family where the two parents couldn't resist fighting with each other. And they were so mean to each other and so impulsive with each other. The father especially was a rageaholic. um, That the kids, no matter what the parents said to them, got the message impulses are fine to indulge because our parents are Mm -hmm. doing it all the time. Mom's dragging a tub of ice cream out of the refrigerator every (laughs) night. You know, dad loses his temper at the drop of a hat. So even though the father was saying, you guys have to be more disciplined. You guys have, you can't spend so much. You shouldn't play so much. All they were really. Stop yelling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's all they were hearing. All they were absorbing was great. We get to do whatever we want, essentially. So. You want me to talk about the the tool itself? Yeah. yeah. How can you give us like, so everyone's going to buy the book and read it and follow through on it. But what's just like a tidbit of how to even start? Because that that, this one was slightly confusing to me and I I need it. (laughs) Yeah. Frankly, the, the most, I think the most confusing element of this is if you think about impulses rationally, there's no reason to indulge them. I mean, if you want to stay at your weight, you shouldn't eat what you're not supposed to eat. And if you don't want to be tired, you shouldn't drink so much at the end of the day. Or, you know, if you want to feel good about yourself, don't lose your temper with your kids because you're just going to feel terrible, you know, afterwards. But the rational doesn't, the, the rational approach doesn't work for one reason, which is, Deep, deep down inside, the idea of depriving ourselves of that instantaneous reaction or that instantaneous fix in the form of food, drinking, whatever it is, 
that sense of deprivation seems like a death. Now, I know, I know no one in the audience actually thinks deprivation is going to kill me. But if you study how you feel when you do deprive yourself or even think about depriving yourself, what you'll find is that you feel like, no, mm-hmm. no. Or watch a little kid being deprived of something, you know, a sugary <laughs> drink or a toy that he really... He'll fall apart and genuinely look as if you're killing me. Like, I need this, you know. And that's living deep inside of us. We don't, as a society, have a model for dealing with deprivation to counteract that inner force that tells you you're going to die. So the first and most important thing to understand is the tool reframes deprivation as not a death, but actually a portal into more life, into an expanded life. And if you can even just remember that, it makes deprivation something that in a weird way you actually want to experience so that you can get through it so many times that your associations with it change completely. So I, I'm, I was born pretty disciplined. I mean, that's the only way I went to an Ivy League college. But what what I've noticed as I've worked on this tool in particular is that the more I use it, and I know this sounds really weird, but the more I've actually looked forward to my impulses because I can prove to myself, you, you don't own me. You don't run my life anymore. Like, I'm in charge of this. And that's what rethinking deprivation really helps you with because you start to think, I, I can not only get through it, I can grow from 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 being able to control myself. What's really getting me excited in this moment hearing you say that is I, and I know a lot of mothers have a hard time also with their children wanting something and having the meltdown. And then a lot of us will just give in because we're like, oh, but our kids, you know, look at their eyes. Like they seem like they are dying. Like, oh, it's just so much easier to give in and give them that or you know, let them watch another YouTube video or whatever, because we don't want to fight <laughs> their fighting deprivation. And so if I can practice this more myself and come through the other side yes, and really experience this on my own, then when I see that reflected in my child, it'll be easier for me to help her yes. step away from that YouTube video or whatever else, because I'll realize that she isn't dying, you know. Exactly. I'm, I'm really kind of a fanatic about this because I really feel like in the span of my life, just 63 years, I have really seen our society break down in terms of its ability to deprive children of things that really aren't good for them. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whether it's too much media, you know, sugar, soft drinks, whatever it is. And your children, it's, it's again, I know it's really hard to hang on to this when you see your child in pain, but your children really need to learn that they will survive not getting what they want. Otherwise, and what I have seen in like the last 10 or 15 years is they turn into entitled monsters, yeah. really, truly kids who just can't tolerate not getting their way. And that's going to be bad for the society, but more importantly, it's going to be bad for them. Yeah. Because at some point, somebody's going to tell them no, and I don't really care how you feel about yeah. it. Yeah, and good luck being in a marriage. Yeah, being in a marriage, <laughs> being in a job. Right. 
anything really, anything that you want to accomplish in life. Or being a parent someday. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's a lot of deprivation. A lot of deprivation. Yeah, you sacrifice. It's a privilege, but it's a deprivation. Absolutely. Uh, I'll remember that tonight when, maybe I'll go throw out the damn cookies. And the reason for me, everyone, just so you know, I'm not on some weird diet already. I just pushed a baby out of me. But it's because I will have the cookie and then I can't get back to sleep during that little window that I have the opportunity to because I'm like high on sugar. Right, right, right. Okay, this is a huge topic on Atomic Moms. The idea of trying to be creatively fulfilled when there is just so much to do and so many of us lose our sense of self in the early days. So how can we commit to our creative fulfillment when a lot of us, it makes us feel selfish, you know, because we could be doing stuff for the family or there's a million other things to get done. Also, there is you know, if there's a ton of dishes in that sink, if I get that done, then I feel like I've accomplished something. Whereas if I'm focused on my creative fulfillment, that's a Word document. Uh, and there isn't that instant gratification, I guess, going back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. So how, do you have any suggestions for mothers about how we can give ourselves permission to to follow what what we might be thinking is our higher purpose. Yeah. I it's so important because mothers really need to have balanced lives in order to raise healthy kids. So um one of the happiest days in my life as a child was when my mother went back to school even though I saw less of her. I could just tell she was so much happier, you know. All of that child-centered, child-focused energy, when I was about eight or nine or 10, I began to experience it as actually oppressive. You know, it was kind of like, whoa, you know. So um, even at the ages that your kids are at, it's important to start setting a precedent for that. Because if you're not balanced in your life, if you're not creatively fulfilled in your life, it's going to affect your parenting. And weirdly enough, as much as you frame it as I'm doing, I'm making the sacrifice for my kids. Some part of you later on is going to say those goddamn kids, they ruined my life. It's going to blame them, you know, for, for really you not being disciplined enough. And I know that may sound harsh, but it's really, you have time to do this. My advice is pretty much always the same, which is take an embarrassingly small amount of time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Start small. And at the end of the day when everybody's in bed or at the beginning of the day before everybody's up or during nap time, whenever you take that amount of time and just do it, whatever it is, if it's a novel you want to work on, if you're writing a song, if you want to even just use that time to explore your imagination for things that you might want to do and make a list absolutely fine with me. That's called arbitrary use of time. And it's called arbitrary because it's a sacrifice of a given amount of time to an activity that will not pay off immediately, but that over time will tell your unconscious that you're interested. And what happens invariably, I'm saying literally 100% of the time, 
is that when people do that regularly and consistently, their unconscious starts to wake up. It's kind of like Ellie's paying attention. She's like interested in what we have to give her. And you start to get more ideas, more passion, more enthusiasm, and all kinds of stuff starts to come up. And then because it's an embarrassingly small amount of time, what (laughs) invariably happens is you get caught up in it and you find yourself going longer. You know, it's like, so now it's a half hour, now it's an hour. Maybe some days I can only manage 10 minutes, which is absolutely fine. But once it becomes part of your day, it just becomes like, I wouldn't go to bed without brushing my teeth. I'm just not going to go through a day without connecting to my unconscious in, you know, in some way. And I really believe, even though it will feel like you're sacrificing your kids for something selfish, In the long run, you're actually giving them something, which is the model of a parent who insists on continuing to grow herself. What do you say to the mom out there who is thinking, this is great, I'd love to grow, but I've been in this marriage for, let's say, five years. You know, we've set up this routine that I am the primary caregiver and uh, everybody expects this of me now. What can you say to that mama that she can say to her partner that, you know, hey, babe, things are changing? That's it. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I did it, guys. It, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's just like, look, um, I know this is a kind of an evolving enterprise here, you know, raising our kids, but I'm finally at the stage where I feel like things are, the bases are covered well enough that I need to, I need some time. To myself. But basically, my wife, I can't remember how old my kids, they were young. She came to me and she said, listen, I, I, you're, you're working really, really hard and I really appreciate it and you're earning the bulk of the money. But if I don't have some time to write some poetry or something for myself, I, I'm going to go f-ing crazy. Sorry. That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, and I didn't like it. Truth be told, there was a selfish part of me was I'm earning all the money, you know, whatever. But a deeper part of me felt like, I get it. I get it. I get to go out of the house. I get to do what I love doing with people. She's like on the front lines here. She needs this for herself. And I got to suck it up and do it for her, you know, kind of thing. And I, I have to, the 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 payoff of the story really is, she has written several poems that have transformed my life, I have to say. They were so touching to me. They were such touching accounts of moments in our children's lives and moments in our family life where it was like, oh, my God, thank God I gave her the chance to do that. A, because it fulfilled her, but B, because, oh, my God, I was repaid so many manifold, you know, by it. It was just so beautiful what came out of her. So... It look in a marriage that has any amount of goodwill, this is doable. Mm-hmm. It's just doable. And when mama's happy, everyone's happy. Exactly. Exactly. So my next question is um it ties into this. It's like we are tired, feels like there's a million things to do. Like, how could I possibly be creative in this moment? Um, I'm exhausted. I have no energy. 
And I have personally had a lot of phases where I felt totally depleted. And I would run around to different doctors and I had irritable bowel syndrome. And I was like, well, maybe that's it. You know, my listeners just went through it with me with, I was on modified bed rest at home for three months. So I missed the adrenaline. I missed exercise. Um, I kind of would lean into being a recluse. People would want to come over and that felt overwhelming. So I just kind of came out of that again. And I'm curious about the tool that can help us um, tap into our unlimited energy. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a secret to energy, and I've really never found it anywhere else in psychology. Most most psychological orientations assume that energy is just given. It's it's you have a fixed amount of it, and it's like you have 10 marbles, you give nine away, you only have one left, you better hoard that marble, you know, at the end of the day. And Phil and I take a very different approach to this. Now, we're not talking about physical energy. You can't go 72 hours without, without sleep. But we are talking about psychological energy, which is creativity, goodwill, um, enthusiasm, things like that are psychological energy. And our belief is that psychological energy is actually infinite. It's more a matter of tapping into it than it is a matter of actually it depleting. But here's the irony. To tap into psychological energy, you have to engage with the demands of the world. And that sets up to, it sets up a paradox because we all feel depleted at times. And when we're depleted, when we only have one marble left, we want to hoard that marble. So what do we do? We disengage from the world. And that can take a variety of different forms. You mentioned one of them, which is people want to come over. Oh, God, no, it's going to take too much energy to do that. But the more you disengage from the world and from the demands of the world, the less energy you have. And by the way, with kids, if you disengage from them, they demand even more of you because they can feel you withdrawing. And that sets up a vicious cycle where they want more, you're pushing them away even more, they're wanting even more, and, you know, it's, that doesn't end well you know, kind of thing. So what the tool does is it assumes that you actually have more energy than you realize. I'll give you a very small example of this, which is in the beginning of my practice when my kids were really young, I would see 10 or 11 people a day, um, you know, like 50, 55 people a week. And I would come home at the end of the day so exhausted. I didn't know. I mean, like all I wanted to do was get dinner, be invisible so I could get past my kids and my <laughs> wife and go to sleep and get up to do the mm -hmm. same thing the next day. And I realized that this is just unacceptable. I can't do this, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So I would literally park my car like a couple of feet away from our house. And I would think to myself, all right, I just did my day job. This is my night job. This is my second job. And I want to bring the same sense of integrity and love and enthusiasm to this job that I do to that job. So what am I going to do? I'm going to act. I'm just going to pretend that I 
just had the best night's sleep possible, and I'm loving every moment of being with my family, and I'm literally going to do a Robert De Niro. I'm just mm-hmm. going to be the best actor I could possibly be. And I kind of did it as an experiment to, to test this idea of, do we have infinite energy? And I have to say, it didn't work every time, but I'd say a good 80 or 90 times out of 100 I would click into this hidden reservoir of energy and I'd be throwing my kids up and making jokes and totally into it. Where did the energy come? My unconscious. I mean, the funny thing about the word unconscious is you're not conscious of it. So, of course, you feel completely depleted. But when you can tap into it by acting as if, you actually get more energy. And as a former actor, like it totally makes sense. Exactly. Because you could show up at acting class or for a show and feel one way and then you have to change your state. (laughs) It changes your physical state and then you start thinking things that are totally different than where you started. Exactly. um, You can start to feel emotions that you weren't really feeling just simply because by acting it. Yeah. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Uh, I also want to say that it's brilliant that you would park away from the house because my husband with our first child would make the mistake of parking in our driveway. And I would just be staring out the window with the baby being like, when are you getting off the phone and coming in the house? No, 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 no. no. So yeah, take your that. moment away. Right. I'll <laughs> out of you. eyesight. Because <laughs> it's that is so helpful, too, though. Not when you yet. go into a space, like, let's clean slate it. Exactly. That clean slate is a great word for it. That was exactly what I wanted to do. What got me to do this really was one evening I came home. This was before I decided to stop outside, you know, away from the house. I pulled into the garage. I opened the door of the car. My daughter came running up to me and just threw herself in my arms. I gave her a big hug, and she whispered this thing in my ear that really got to me. She said, Daddy, everybody's having a really hard time in the house. Will you bring us up to your level instead of us, instead of coming down to our our level? It blew me away that she had the insight to know that what was going on, you know, was rough and that maybe I could help. And it just made me feel like, oh, my God, I have to do this. You know, this is part of my job as the guy who's outside the house not dealing with the stresses is to bring a whole new perspective when I walk through the door. So she she gets the credit for that. (laughs) Yeah, you shift the energy of the entire family. Yeah. And look, sometimes it's not going to work. Right. But at least you try, you know, at least you. It feels good to think about though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with the tools, really important part of them working is being aware of your emotional state. So let's say that you're terrified of something in the future. You suggest, you know, you've got to put immerse yourself into that feeling of terror. So for any of these tools to work, it seems like we have to be willing to feel our feelings. Yes. And a lot of mamas, especially the high-achieving mamas, really good at not feeling our feelings, really good at dissociating and just pushing ahead. How in the moment, I I get it if we're about to have a meltdown, like then you can feel those, it's pretty easy to access. But if we were going to do it early in the morning if we're just practicing, how do we welcome uh, those sensations into our body? 
I, you know, I'm a big proponent of incrementalism. So if you really, if you've made a career out of pushing your feelings away, which everybody does to, to one degree or another, um, start small. You know, it's, it's, the psyche is infinitely malleable. It just needs to be changed in little increments. So take five seconds in the morning and just touch that feeling that you've been avoiding. Just touch it. Just dip your big toe into it and then come out and do that every single day. We're talking about five seconds. So it's like not Mm -hmm. that big a deal. Trust me, by the end of two weeks, you're going to, your foot is going to be in the water instead of just your big toe. Mm -hmm. And then gradually you become more conversant with your own emotions and you gain a mastery over them. That's the thing is you can't master emotions by not feeling them, by refusing to feel them. They, they're they just there knocking on the door and they're going to break the door down eventually. And then you're really not equipped to deal with mm. them. Whereas if you're willing to dip your big toe in the water every single day, then when they come knocking at the door and it's appropriate to feel them, you can feel them. Ugh, what is can- that roomy poem about the guest house yeah like, i don't know it by uh, heart but I'll, yes i'll try i'll share that later Anyone that look at, yeah. oh my god yeah that's yeah let it all in okay exactly it's like invite it in so the that it doesn't have to break the door down yeah yeah if you come from a Russian Jewish family like I do, you don't have this problem because we right. just vomited all our feelings all over each other all the time. <laughs> I, I'm in a tricky. This is not a problem I can really great. relate to. I'm in a tricky situation. Actually, my husband too. And you know, we were three months in. We got engaged. Wow. We've been married for ten years. Like it's a yeah. great match. And the funny thing is, our both of our fathers are Eastern European, so uh-huh. just like loud, crazy, right. super expressive. Right. And you, bo- you, you never didn't know what someone was feeling <laughs> exactly. in my household. It's a problem <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Um, and then on our both of our mothers uh, are you total wasps right. in like right. coming from you know <laughs> you know wild. you go back to Great Britain, so it's like the same uh, chemical makeup with both of us. And so it, I do find myself, uh, at odds with my Eastern European side and my super waspy daughter of the American revolution right, side. Right, right. Um, but okay. This is my chance to ask you, uh, you talk about the shadow. Um, and so please explain what that is to our listeners, but, and I, and this might not be the shadow. I have a feeling it is. Uh, so I'm going to, Explain the situation first, uh, and then hopefully you can uh, clarify what the heck I'm talking about, and then maybe give me some peace of mind, and then I'll let you get back to your your day job. So three weeks ago, I gave birth. It was an unmedicated birth at Cedar sinai and it was four hours. It was super, super intense and super, super fast. Uh, I was feeling everything, and I did not want uh, people in the room that— I was just hypersensitive to energy. And so I told some nurses to leave, like if they were talking. Um, I felt like I was being a really good advocate for myself. And then in the final moments, when I started pushing, uh, a woman came in the room and said, doctors are going to be coming in now to watch. And I said, no, no. And actually, I have it on audio. So like, I know that this, I said, no, no, I don't want them in here. And then I had to push. And my doula was focused enough to say, no, LA, right now you focus on me. We're going to focus on this baby. But as I was pushing, I was seeing seven 
brand new doctors who just started in July staring at me from across the room, but like staring down my canal. And I have this visual of this one guy in particular, and they were scared. And I talked to my doula about it later, and she was like, yeah, they were scared. And one person actually had said to her, or she overheard one person say, like, is she all right? And so it's like I was pushing and having a difficult time. I have performance anxiety anyway. And then to have these people staring at me in not like a loving, supportive way, but in a... um I'm sure it was probably their first unmedicated birth experience too. But that now has, like, I am letting that get bigger and bigger and fester. In what way? Like, what is it? Are you thinking about it a lot and going over it and over it? Yeah, I'm just getting angrier. Mm. And I'm feeling like, um, I don't know if part of it is just I know so many mothers have felt powerless during their birth experience. So I don't know if I'm just kind of tapping into that because for me, it was an empowering experience and I was able to voice what I needed, except then it was ignored in that moment. Yeah. And is the feeling of invisibility or powerlessness, is that, does that resonate for you anything earlier in your life or is that a, is that an issue? Has that ever been an issue for you? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but when you said invisibility, I was thinking more like it's like being on a jumbotron. Mm, mm. Oh, it's the opposite. Like yeah. You're on display for these. Yeah. yeah and then I don't know if it's the sh- like the shadow part of like that. I have a hard time showing my pain and feeling things and being different. And, you know, I'm having a hard time defending almost my choice like of not getting medication yeah it's i mean i know that that's not true i don't know why that just came out of my mouth but there's a i think it's that part of me of like oh i was seen mm-hmm. as different mm-hmm. um like a an animal like or that i am there i don't it there was such a disconnect and i know that goes back to acting with like auditioning i always had a really hard time like, I wouldn't want to look in the casting director's eyes, which is obviously very important, mm-hmm. but I was afraid of what they would see. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm thinking it's the this shadow is great. stuff. That's great. I want to say three things about this. The first is, it's really effed up that you that they didn't respect your privacy. It, it really is. I mean, this is a sacred moment for yeah. a woman, and it's just something that should be honored and respected not observed for educational or research purposes or anything else. And it's the field of medicine is better than it used to be, much better than it used to be, but they still don't get that this is not just simply a uh, medical experience. You know, this is like a really deep, spiritual, private moment. And whatever the woman wants, she gets There's no, there's no violating that. That's the first thing I want to say. Especially at the very end. Like they saw me pull her out. Yeah. 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 The second thing I want to say is, um, putting that aside, this is one of those moments where you have a sort of perfect screen 
on which to project your worst judgments or fears about who you are and how you come across because you don't know these people, mm-hmm. you know. For all we know, they were scared because they're men and they don't like yeah. having this, you know, being exposed. You know, who knows? Yeah. It might have been their insecurities. In fact, yeah. or maybe often, they heard me say that I didn't want them there and exactly. they were insecure because they they're like, they they weird. Yeah, yeah, like we shouldn't be, <laughs> whatever. But classically in life, there are every day we have these experiences of we don't really know what the other person is thinking but we automatically project onto them the judgments that we have toward ourselves. That leads to the third thing that I want to say, which is invariably in that situation, what you are judging or what you're feeling judged is, is your shadow. So in a sense, the best way to say it is what you think they're thinking about you that's how you feel about your shadow. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so for listeners who've never heard the word shadow before. It's whatever part of you you feel embarrassed of, yeah. ashamed of, you'd never want other people to see. It can take so many different forms. If you had acne as a kid, you might feel ugly as an adult, even though you've overcome it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were bad at math as a kid, you might feel stupid as an adult even though you've now become good at math or whatever it is. I treat one of the wealthiest, most powerful guys in Hollywood, but he grew up dyslexic and he feels stupid, even though Mm. nobody in the world would ever think this guy is stupid, you know? So it's just, it's that raw kind of stain on your soul that doesn't go away. And a lot of what we do in life unless we're aware of the shadow, is just hide the shadow. Just do whatever we can to make sure no one else sees the shadow, which, by the way, is itself kind of an insult to the shadow. You know, it's like, it's not a nice way to treat the shadow. Okay, I will pause there. Uh, You will get all of Barry's thoughts on this in September. Man, again, He's going to explain the shadow, what it means, how it shows up in your life, how it could be holding you back, and how it can actually be one of the most powerful forces for good in your life. After that conversation, I felt a thousand times lighter, and I feel like I was able to reclaim my birth story. This guy is so good. Uh, So go to thetoolsbook.com for more about Barry Michaels and Phil Stutz' groundbreaking work. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Please leave a kind review if you enjoy this content. It helps new moms find us. Don't forget to reach out on social media, on Instagram at Atomic Moms and Facebook and Twitter. And uh, by Coming Alive, four tools to defeat your inner enemy, ignite creative expression, and unleash your soul's potential. Next week, we'll be talking discipline, gentle discipline with Sarah Aquell-Smith. She's going to solve that whole post-screen time meltdown thing that's been happening at my home with our preschooler. We're going to be calling Great Britain for that one, and it's a a great episode, and I'm extra sleep-deprived for that one. Uh, Oh, my God. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.